This is the podcast for RUF at Wake Forest. RUF exists for the convinced and the unconvinced, the lost and the found, the burned and the bored, the cynical and the spiritual. Whoever you are and whatever your story, RUF exists for you. For more information, check out our Instagram at RUF Wake Forest. Now, here's today's teaching. Okay, so um, if I haven't met you, I'm John Bourgeois. I'm the campus minister here with RUF at Wake, and we're really glad to have you here with us tonight on this beautiful night. There's the moon. Um, And tonight we're doing something a little different in that we are going to hear from Ellis Kiefer, um, and she is going... Woo! Um, And if you have not had the chance to meet Ellis, uh, Ellis has served with RUF here for four years, and... um, and she is now working, no longer working with RUF and working uh, for Greater Winston-Salem, which uh, she's the director of business recruitment for the city of Winston-Salem. So she's a big, she's a big deal. Um, and I asked her uh, to take tonight, for us to give tonight, for her to share with us um, how God has been at work in her and through her and um, uh, what he has shown her and taught her over her four years um, and to give parting words to y'all. And so um, that's what she's going to do now. So uh, give it up for, I'll only pray for her and then give it up. Yeah, all right, let me pray for her. Um, Father in heaven, thank you for this night. And Lord, we thank you for Ellis. And um, Lord, thank you for the work that you have done in her these past four years and through her uh, to bless this campus in the name of Jesus. And um, Lord, thank you that you've given her words to say to us. Um, We love you and thank you for your grace to us in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Hi. Hi, Alice. Good to see you all. Okay, before I actually start talking, I just, and possibly get emotional, (laughs) I just wanted to take a minute to say thank you all. Um, I can't put into words how much RUF has meant to me and specifically how much y'all have meant to me over the past four years. So that's a quick thank you. But, um, God has worked in you um, to care for me um, in more ways than you could ever know. So thank you. Um, So yeah, as John said, he asked me to share tonight. Those are much more elaborate instructions, what he told you. Really what he told me was, I want you to impart your wisdom, (laughs) which was wildly overwhelming. Um, So I was talking to a friend about speaking tonight, and her suggestion was that I think through songs or stories or phrases that have kind of been on repeat um, in my time with RUF. So I started naturally by looking through my Spotify top 100 playlists. Um, And even though I think I could probably draw some beautiful comparison from the Hamilton Hamilton soundtrack to my life, um, I decided that I'd go with this story. So I um, picked a story that has resonated with me um, and become sort of a theme of my past four years um, on staff with RUF. Um, And this is the story. It's Mark 5, verses 21 through 34. I think it's in the slides. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. 
and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Okay. Um, Just for fun, to start, I want you all to close your eyes and imagine a mess. Got it pictured? Okay. Hang on to that. Um, So I'll tell you what I imagine, or one of the stories I imagine. (laughs) When I was in high school, um, my sister and I were home alone, and I was upstairs, and all of a sudden I hear someone, like, pounding on the front door and ringing the doorbell over and over and over again, and I run downstairs, and I look out the window just long enough to to tell that it's my sister and I open the door (laughs) and she is standing there with bird poop I kid you not dripping from like the top of her head down her eye and down past her mouth and she's going "Mm!" (laughs) and that's like all I knew and I burst out laughing because I obviously like where did she come from why was she not inside we rush her to the shower I hose her off she's finally clean enough to tell me what happened apparently she was looking up at a bird's nest and right then, the baby bird left the nest. And apparently, baby birds take a big dump when they, when they leave the nest. Anyway, so that's what I picture. Um, okay, sorry. Back to the story. So for a little context of where we are in the life of Jesus, um, just two chapters before this account, Mark tells us that the Pharisees are already on a mission to get Jesus. They have seen enough of him and his miracles and his ministry, and they're out to destroy him. But now we see Jesus going to the house of a synagogue leader to heal his daughter. Um, I was curious what a synagogue leader did, so I looked it up, and apparently that's maybe more of an honorary title than an actual job. It was probably given to, at least according to what I read, um, donors or benefactors of the synagogue. So imagine, like, the names on the buildings on Wake's campus, Hearn and Benson, Um, or Pharaoh, that's the kind of name and power and prestige that Jairus probably had. Um, So this is a big invite for Jesus, and presuming that this miracle goes as planned, we would call that good PR for Jesus's ministry, Um, healing the 12-year-old daughter of a powerful Jewish elite. So Jesus is headed over to Jairus's house um, in a hurry, and Mark tells us that there's a huge crowd following him. And I really want us to engage our imaginations in this story. Um, But I also recognize that crowds are harder to imagine than they used to be. So imagine it's 2019 and you're in the Atlanta airport and you're trying to get on the plane train. That is the kind of crowd that we're talking about here, right? A throng around Jesus. And somewhere in that crowd, there's this desperately sick woman. 
chasing after Jesus alongside everyone else. A woman with a mess. Her mess is that she's been bleeding for 12 years. 12 years with some type of devastating hemorrhage. Um, For context, 12 years ago, I was wrapping up middle school. That's how long this woman has been sick and bleeding. And understandably, Mark says that she spent her life savings enduring every treatment imaginable to try to fix it. And if you're struggling to imagine what that might be, I was kind of curious, so I googled first century Roman surgical tools. Um, You can do that later for a scary uh, (laughs) Google images rabbit hole. But Mark says now she's actually sicker than she was at the start. So not only is she financially ruined, she spent all her money, she's physically wrecked, um, still bleeding. She's also relationally destitute um, because according to Jewish law, a bleeding woman was ritually unclean and anyone who touched her was also considered ritually unclean. And you couldn't go to the synagogue in a state of ritual impurity. And the synagogue wasn't just the center of religious life, but also the center of social life and community. So this means that not only has this woman not been able to go to the synagogue, but she probably also hasn't had a hug in 12 years. Those of you who have been um, to the Best Western, maybe you can relate to this, right? You find out that you've tested positive or you've been contact traced, and then you have this weird brush of shame over you because you have to call your friends and tell them that they've been contact traced and they have to quarantine. And it's weird because you're sick, but you're embarrassed about that. That's how this woman lived every day for 12 years, announcing herself as unclean everywhere she went like the most intense social distancing that you could imagine. This is her mess. And can you kind of hear her internal dialogue, like unclean and unseen and unlovely and unwanted? These are things that I hear in my head sometimes, but that's totally affirmed by her reality, her daily experience. People are telling her this and she's telling herself this. Holding it together is not an option for her. She's obviously unclean and undone. Mark says she heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, even if I touch his garments, I will be made well. Notice even the way she approaches Jesus. She doesn't come to him like Jairus face to face and ask for healing. Her plan is literally just to get close enough to Jesus to reach out and touch his shoelaces. So she just kind of scurries through the crowd in the shadows and touches the edge of his clothes and instantly she's healed. After 12 years of bleeding, she just like, just barely touches the edge of this guy's clothes and she's healed. That's how much power Jesus has. And instantly she can tell that she's well. But then Jesus stops and turns around and says, hold on a second, who touched me? And the disciples are like, "Um, Jesus, we're in the Atlanta airport. What do you mean? Who touched me? (laughs) And Jesus said, no, I felt healing power come out of me. Who touched me? And this woman comes completely terrified out of the crowd. Terrified not because Jesus is calling her out, but because at this point she probably knows better than anybody else there, right? How much power this guy has. And can you imagine what's going through her mind at that moment? She's thinking, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have done that. Like, I've done something wrong. He's calling me out. Everybody's looking. Everybody's quiet. What's he going to say? 
Is my mess too much even for Jesus? And it says she just collapses at his feet and tells him everything. And then hear his response. He says, daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So not only is he making her clean, but he goes so far as to cover her shame and to crown her as his daughter. Okay, so why did I pick this story as my parting words or theme song or whatever you want to say from the past four years? Um, As John said, I came to Winston four years ago to do the RUF internship here at Wake. Um, And it was all very exciting, but it also kind of felt like, you know, the wobbling age you get when you get off of the treadmill. Like, leaving college was a different, kind of a difficult transition. Um, Because when I was in college, I was living a life that was probably similar to many of you all. Um, I was finance pre-med, which kind of sounds like a joke major when I say it out loud now. Um, I was pretty involved in Greek life. I logged a lot of hours, um, late nights and weekends in the library. I was really proud of the fact that I had one of those resumes with like narrow margins and tiny font because that meant I was doing something. Um, And when I pictured the Ellis who my friends loved and wanted and enjoyed spending time with, that's who I pictured the Ellis who could keep things clean and tidy, who could spin all the plates without breaking a sweat. Um, And that's the Ellis that I imagine my family saw and loved, who my parents saw and loved. Um, That's the Ellis in my mind who Jesus loved. The together Ellis was the lovable Ellis. So I get here to Winston and start the internship and the Lord begins to gently allow me to be a mess so that he could correct my understanding of what it means to be his daughter. And um, his first, I guess you could say funny lesson, it didn't feel funny at the time, um, was letting me sleep through not one, but two RUF events within the first two months of me starting the internship. Um, I woke up on a Saturday morning with like five missed calls from John, my new boss, asking me where I was, if I was alive, if I was coming. Um, and I was just asleep and I swore that that was just a fluke and that's not really who I am and it's going to be okay and I can prove myself and John will see that I'm a hard worker. And then just a couple weeks later, it happens again. I, I wake up at like 1040 and see that I've slept through, um, pretty much all of here. <laughs> uh, but again, I decided I'm just going to work harder. It'll be okay. But Jesus is starting to teach me this quiet refrain. Ellis, of course I am bigger than your mess. I'm bigger than you sleeping through parents' brunch. You don't have to cover yourself. Daughter, you are mine. And then a few months later, I was um, wandering the mall in Charlotte with my now husband, Robbie, um, and we were, I thought we were just perusing, and then he casually suggested that we should go into a jewelry store, and I completely panic because um, marriage is nowhere on my Google calendar for, like, at least another two years. <laughs> um, and there's so much that I need to get figured out and clean up before I can be married. And again, I hear, Ellis, of course I'm bigger than your mess. I'm bigger than your preconceptions and your fears about marriage. 
You don't have to prepare perfectly. You don't have to cover this yourself. Daughter, you are mine. So Robbie and I um, got married in August of 2018, and it was a whirlwind, and it was wonderful. And then about six weeks later, um, my dad calls me to tell me that he and my mom are getting a divorce. And not only are my worst fears about marriage confirmed, but the security I had and my idea of home and family was also completely shattered. Every phone call felt like more bad news, more tears, and just filth. It felt like someone sat me down and asked me to watch as they lit my house on fire. My family was hemorrhaging and I couldn't make it stop. And um, I couldn't even get the blood off of myself. And my heart felt heavy and disgusting. And sometimes I would hang up the phone and literally feel like I needed to get in the shower. And no one could help because it was too much. The mess was too much for my parents, obviously. It was too much for me and my sister. It was too much for my new husband. It was too much for my friends. So I had to be hidden because to be seen meant I would be getting this mess on somebody else, making somebody else unclean. I didn't feel like a daughter because my parents didn't have the capacity to parent us through this. And I felt alone and dirty and man, all the strength that I had to muster in prayer through angry tears was to just try to reach out and grab Jesus' shoelaces. And his refrain back to me again is, Ellis, of course, I'm bigger than your mess. Actually move towards messes. I'm bigger than your parents' divorce. You don't have to cover this yourself. I love you in the midst of this mess. Daughter, you are mine. I think um, the Christian author Henry Nowen does a really good job of speaking into these moments for us. He says, these feelings, strong as they may be, are not telling me the truth about myself. The truth, even though I cannot feel it right now, is that I am the chosen child of God, precious in God's eyes, called the beloved from all eternity and held safe in an everlasting embrace. Just like this woman, I am called daughter in my mess with blood all over me at the end of my rope. Jesus is, is God incarnate, right? He's a God who's in the business of redemption. He moves towards messes. He's dismantling the effects of sin and literally reweaving the fabric of creation. He's undoing brokenness everywhere he goes. And in this case, he heals this woman's broken body just with the edge of his, his skirt. And then he stops. Not only does he heal this woman of her disease, the reason that she's in pain and broke and alone, but he stops. Jesus stops on his way to do important 
miraculous status earning messiah confirming jesus-y things it'd be like if an ambulance stopped on its way to the mayor's office for somebody on the side of the road right why does he stop because he doesn't want to restore this woman in secrecy and isolation this is not a savior who just quietly disposes of her dirty laundry and promises that you never have to talk about it again This is a savior who wants to stop for her. He actually wants to identify with her. He wants to stop in the middle of a crowd and and draw her close. He wants to call this woman daughter so that she and the crowd can know that she is his family, that she wears a crown as his daughter. Yes, Jesus heals her body, but he does so much more than that. When he stops and he looks at her and he calls her daughter, He's healing her soul. (laughs) He's loving her back to life. And in a matter of moments, she moves from dirty, bleeding outcast to daughter of the Most High King. And that's why I love this story. In my mess and the things that I've left undone that tell me that I'm unlovable, when my world is collapsing around me and I can't pick it up, when there are dirty dishes in my sink, (laughs) I remember that I'm called daughter in my mess. I remember that Jesus not only cleanses me and covers my shame, but he calls us children, which means that, I love this, this is what the confession says, we enjoy all the privileges of being children of God. We have his name written on us. We receive the spirit of adoption. We get to waltz right up to God's throne with boldness and cry, Abba, Father. We are pitied and protected, provided for, and chastened by him as by a father, but we can't be cast off because we've been sealed for the day of redemption. And we get to inherit the promises of God as heirs of everlasting salvation. And that's why this story strikes home for me. Um, And I'm not sure how much of my story resonates with you, um, but whether it does or not, my question for you is what is your mess? What's the unpresentable part of you or part of your story that just feels like, like too much? The thing that drives you to make sure that all the rest of your ducks are in a row? The thing that seems to just keep on bleeding no matter what you do? And what would it be like for Jesus to not only heal you, to stop the bleeding, to clean up your mess, but to claim you in that mess? to call you a child. It was not in this woman's finest hour that Jesus claimed her. It was at her neediest. That's what we were saying earlier, right? All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. Friends, this is true of us as children of God. We get to desperately ring his doorbell with bird poop dripping down our faces (laughs) and nothing but need. Of course, Jesus is bigger than your mess. He loves your most unpresentable self. He loves my most unpresentable self. You can stop trying to cover yourself up. He calls you son. He calls you daughter. He says, I love you. You're mine. Thanks for letting me share. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for these friends and for this ministry that brings tears to my eyes, um, for the work that you've done 
through these friends in my life, um, or the way your spirit works. Um, would you help us to feel your need, our need for you? Thank you that you call us children um, for all the promises that come with that title. Pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.